What's wrong with you people? What is the foundation of your faith? I mean, why do you believe what you believe? The word of the living God. All scripture is theonistos. It is God breathed. I'll tell you what's disrespectful. Saying God has to provide many ways when in his son he gave his life on Calvary's tree to provide the one perfect. Give us a man who know the truth. And welcome to another episode of the Eyes Open Ministry podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, John Pruitt, and today I'm joined by none other than Joshua Neville, and Mr. Will Lures. Good to have you gentlemen with us today. So today we're continuing our series in the attributes of God, the basically the characteristics of God, and today we're going to be talking about God's immutability. We're going to discuss what that means, how that should mean we interpret and view God, how we look at the scriptures, and it kind of, this is one of these other ones that kind of falls in the category of applying to all of his other attributes. So grab your Bibles, get ready to turn to some pages, and let's study God's Word together. Before we get into it, just a quick plug, check out our website, eyesupandministries.org. There you'll find plenty of study tools, including blogs and links to our podcasts uh, to help you study God's Word even more. Uh, there you'll also find links to our social media accounts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and we also have a YouTube channel, though we don't have any content really posted there yet. We plan to have some in the future, and hopefully the by the end of this year, we'll have uh, we'll try to stream live videos of the podcast. But all that is in play, and the best way to do that is to sign up for our email and stay up to date with all the upcoming things that we're trying to do with Eyes Open Ministries, including some uh, teaching seminars. So look forward to all that stuff and, and show us that support. If you don't mind, like and share all of our materials. And lastly, give us a review on these podcast apps. Um, give us whatever stars or ratings you feel necessary, but help us by doing so. It helps put the content out there for people to see even more of and uh, puts us higher up in the ratings. So we'd appreciate it if you would leave us a good, honest review, even if it's a one-star or a five-star. We appreciate it. All right. So there's a good Tolkien quote I want us to start off with, and Mr. Josh is going to handle that for us. Sure. Um, so I got a riddle for you guys here. It's from J.R.R. Tolkien from The Hobbit book he wrote. All right. This thing, all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays kings, ruins towns, and beats the mountain down. Think you know it? The answer is time. Mm -hmm. And so this, this ties in very well with our last episode 
um, on talking about God's eternity. And we encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to all the other episodes because they all kind of lead up to this and they all tie in together so nicely. Um, so we're talking about God's immutability. And as Augustine said, is it is crucial in our doctrine of God that we begin with faith in God's word and not with human reasoning and experience. And I wanted to make that very clear in the very beginning because what is God's immutability? It means simply that he is unchanging. And as human beings, we change all the time. Uh, we're always growing older. We're always growing wiser, sometimes stupider. Uh, <laughs> there's many different ways in, in, that we change in our life. We go from, man, just from the past 15 years of my life, I've went from being a single adolescent to being a husband and father of three and you know, been in ministry for 18 years. A married adolescent. Yeah, married adolescent. Yeah, you know, it was pretty, <laughs> you know, it's been crazy, man, as has how much has changed in our society and culture just over the past 10 years. Um, it's amazing to see the changes we've seen in technology. It's amazing to see the changes we've seen in the political sphere and culture itself. So all things of humanity, everything in this world changes. It grows old, it dies, you know, the from nature itself to human beings to, to like I said, technology and all that stuff. It's always constantly in a state of changing. And now I ain't talking about evolution. Now, no, let's not get on that track. We'll save that for another episode one day, maybe on God's Mad Men. But, uh, but there's always a flux of change. But with, with God, it's very important and crucial for us to understand as Christians, especially when we're thinking about who God is, we're glorifying who he is and what he does, we need to keep in mind that God is unchanging. God's nature is the same today as it, as it was before he created the world, and it will be the same thousands of years from now through all eternity. Um, so it, it's one of my favorite attributes because of this reason, because like I said, his holy nature is unchanging. You know, his eternal nature, nature is unchanging. Uh, yeah, you know, it's that common um, saying that everybody in the world, you know, innately recognizes just a, a truism across cultural boundaries that the only thing constant is change mm -hmm. and, and taxes, but most people <laughs> get that too. But it's just a, everybody sees it, you know, even if we don't think about it as in, ter in the terms of mutability and, you know, in a ph philosophic way, it's everybody realizes that change is constant, change is never stopping. Everything we see is changing, even the most solid consistent things that we see on earth you know, rocks mountains they're still changing there's there's erosion going on everything in this world is changing there's a clear distinction made there between god that's what i think the doctrine of god's immutability is so important that it it clearly and completely separates the creator from the creation there's a there's a definitive line drawn there to where he's the only thing that exists that doesn't change how does that affect us as we become to understand that as Christians, you know, that's, um, you know, what areas of, how does that impact us in our view of God when we truly understand his immutability there? Um, you know, God is every bit, like I said earlier, he is, he is holy, he is gracious, he is righteous, and he is loving as he always was. And, you know, there's a lot in the Christian church today as well, where there's an argument over this, that there's, that God was different in the Old Testament than he is now in the New Testament. And that is just a hermeneutical error on their part that thinks that way. Mm -hmm. There's just something there they're not understanding about the attributes of God. So that's why it's very important for us to understand his immutability. 
because simply put, in my opinion, and a lot of theologians would agree, if God can change, then he's not God. Correct, yeah. You know. So, yeah, I think, you know, one thing that is important, drawing connections from the immutability is, we, you know, everybody says God's perfect, God's holy. Um, to think of perfection in the way that it, the Bible presents perfection, it, it almost, or it, I think it does necessarily require immutability. Because if to say that God's perfect, um, it almost, it implies that he's, he's unchanging. Because if he is changing, is he changing for the better or the worse? If he's changing for the better, then he wasn't perfect before. Mm. If he's changing for the worse, he's not perfect now. So there's to, to remove the doctrine of God's immutability has all kinds of downstream effects that may not be initially seen. But once you start trying to take it out, you'll see that there's a mm. lot of it. You're going to end up with a different understanding of who God is. I believe there's a quote by this theologian named Samuel Willard. He said, to be God and to be changeable is a contradiction. Mm. Mm, yep. That's it. And that's, you know, you think that God is the ultimate truth, right? He's the ultimate source of truth. I always like coming back to that. God's word is truth. And he is the way to truth and the life. And so truth doesn't change. So neither does God, you know, um, even when we, when we think of it from a scientific level, when there's actual proven evidence of science that says something very definitive, nothing can change that unless unless there's some new revelation or something. But when it comes to everything out of that, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but it escapes me right now. But uh, but God's truth is already established. It's already present. It's already there. So it doesn't change as well because he is the word, you know, and it's, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here a little bit, but, but it all, it all comes back to, it's just, to me, it's just, it makes perfect sense. And it is absolutely beautiful. Because like you said, if, if God can change, then he's not God, right? He's, it's just, I don't know, it, it almost brings God down to a creaturely level to where, you know, everybody, everything mm -hmm. we know is changing. Mm -hmm. And so we, it's hard for us to imagine a God that doesn't change yet that we, we can still relate to and connect with. Yeah. But um, we have to just accept there's some things that are beyond our understanding. Yeah. And, one of, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, one of the definitions of even being a creature is that, it was even a change to be brought from a state of not existing to existing. Mm. And that's not so with God. He was the great I am. Um, he's always existed. I am what I am. So mm. that's good. Yeah, maybe now is a good time for this uh the Stephen Charnock quote. It summarized it's a little lengthy and it's a little deep as everything Charnock says ever is, but it's a, it's a good summary, and here we go. God is unchangeable in his essence, nature, and perfections. He is what he always was and always will be. Because he is eternal, he is eternally the same, that is, immutable. God does not and will not change, and therefore he is eternally consistent. God's character, ways, purpose, promises, plans, happiness, and glory are free from any change, free from both growth and decay. And he's getting that there, you know, he's saying it. In a, in a drawn out way to make sure he's pounding on it to try and make sure his reader is getting it. But it's saying that, you know, it's not just that, yeah, God doesn't change, but he might change his mind or he might make up, come up with a new plan or anything like that. No, it's, he's, mm. um, he's unchanging. And so is all his works. His works don't change. His plans don't change. His promises don't change. His purposes don't change. He's known everything from the beginning. So he's not learning anything. 
Um, he's, so he's drawing out some of the implications of that, but it summarizes this doctrine very well, I think. Yeah, I love that quote because it really puts it all together. And and what's crazy, though, is that a lot of churches, a lot of denominations, a lot of Christians would disagree with this quote um, because there seems to be in a church world that God is reactionary, that we can change God. We can change God's mind. We can, and we'll get more into this later when we talk about prayer and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, the Bible teaches very clearly that we see throughout the scriptures the imagery of God as a rock or a fortress that is unchangeable, right? Um, that he's faithful to his promises, that he is pure, he is constant, he is unpolluted. And we'll, we're going to touch on some of those scriptures and everything. But, so much is there that people just want to overlook when it comes to it and easily pass it off as, well, that doesn't mean that God doesn't change, right? I mean, hmm. I well, we, can, we can kind of start with what God himself says about himself. Yeah. So I'll just go ahead and throw this out here. Malachi uh, chapter three, verse six. This is God himself speaking. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, do not be consumed. So here you have an example of Yahweh. He's using his divine covenantal name there, saying and attributing to himself this idea of not changing and being immutable. Yeah, and, that, and if God was changeable, then what is, that changes the implications of like Psalm 62 and 2, right? It says um, that God, he, he is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and I shall not be greatly shaken. If that, if God was changeable, how, how sturdy of a foundation do we have? You know, when Jesus talked, talked about build your, your house upon the rock, there's implications behind it because shifting sand, sands are changeable. And, you know, you know, look at, yeah, even though over through hundreds or thousands of years of erosion and stuff like that, rocks and stuff may physically change to some degree, but for the most part, God is that unchanging rock that is solid and firm. And when you build everything on top of that, then it's a foundation that shall not be shaken. That has to be unchangeable because if it was changeable and it did change, then guess what? You're not on a firm foundation then. Right. He's he's um, trying to ex express to us in ways that we can understand because there is nothing unchangeable to compare him with. And so he's, he's finding in nature and on the earth the the most fixed, the most unchanging, the most consistent things that, that we see and associate himself with that. We see that, you know, the, talking about the rock in lots of places, a solid foundation, a fortress. He's, he's reliable is what he's saying. Um, he's essentially saying he's immutable. You can trust this. This this I've been here forever. I'll always be here forever and I won't change. Mm. It's, it's, it's like reliability. Mm. And it's just amazing to me how many times in the Psalms you'll hear David or the psalmist talk about God being a rock, a strong fortress, and a defender. Mm. It's just all over the place. Yeah, you see how fixed on it David was. When you know, any time that David was cast out, beat down, struggling, he, he went back to writing those those songs praising God as reliable, as trustworthy. Mm -hmm. It was a it was a foundation to his faith and his ability to continue in the purposes that he had. I think we could all learn a lot from that whenever we get, you know, our our day is prone to self pity and wallowing in our own struggle because I think we do tend to um, try to be independent, not to have a 
because we're not ourselves are not a, a firm foundation. We're not a rock or a fortress that can uphold everything because we're changing. But if we fix ourselves on that foundation like David did, we'll be more able to persevere like he did. Uh, the blessfulness, the the uh, the hope that this gives us. You know, if God was changeable, there would be no hope. I think about me as a father. I'm very head. I've learned throughout my years of being a father that I don't tell my kids we're going to do something. Uh, I don't like to make those promises. It's like, hey, kids, we're going to go to. Very recently, we we talked about going to the beach for the weekend. And there's a car, big car show going on. I've always wanted to take them to the car show. And I just want to go to the car show for today. Well, somehow that turned into us making a weekend out of it. And then as I started considering everything, it's going to be St. Patrick's Day weekend. It's, it's going to be uh start of spring break. There's a lot of things going on. I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily want to take my kids to, to you know, in our case, Myrtle Beach here where there's going to be a lot of partying, a lot of this other stuff going on, and plus hotel rates are high. So I've decided if we go, we're going to go for the day just to the car show. And they're like, oh, no, come on, Dad. You promised. You promised, you promised, you promised we were going. I, was like, I didn't promise. I said we will go, but I didn't <laughs> promise. This, you know. So I had to. Ch I changed my mind. So I made a promise that I changed my mind on after I considered and looked into wisdom and thought about it a little bit more clearly off of a because I'm prone to say things off of a off a reactionary level. Oh, sweet. There's a car show. Let's go. You know, but then when I sit there back and I think about it in wisdom and I'm like, oh, well, maybe not. That's not, not the smartest thing to do with my family. So and that's because you you, you took new information. You there, yeah, there was knowledge learned. So it's only natural and, and reasonable for us to change based on into information. Yeah, which is a, a clear distinction between God. He already knew everything. He had already considered this. He didn't make a rash promise that he's like, oh, you know what? I better not. They might mm -hmm. crucify my son. I better not promise salvation. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, he, he already knew. He knew everything. There's no new information to be con considered by him. Yeah, and if God knows the beginning from the end, if he is the beginning, he's Alpha and Omega, but he knows if, if this is how it's going to end up, you know, the last word in the Bible, amen, from the first word in in the Bible. If, if this is how it's going to lay out, and I always had, I always think in my mind, this might be a terrible analogy, but I think of the domino effect. You know, if I want that last domino to topple over, then every domino from the starting point to the end point matters. And therefore, everything has to be placed in, in proximity to topple over the next one. So therefore, it's, it's like God's plan. Everything has to be set in motion in order for that last domino to topple over at amen in the, end of, in the scriptures here for end times or whatever you want to believe on that end level. But so therefore, if God was changeable, then that would be hard for him to predict. That would be hard for him to say, this is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, if we can change God's mind about doing something, well, then it could change. The, it's like the butterfly effect. You know, you know, yeah. you heard of that as a butterfly flutters its wings 300 miles away. It has a ripple effect throughout the whole world, which the I know that across the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I know that might be a bit of far fetched, but it's a good example. You know, everything changes due to our reactions and our changeability and our, the things that happen in this world, you know, if, uh, from the minute to the very big things, you know, small things that we do may not have big consequences, but they, then again, they might, mm -hmm. but what's amazing and beautiful about God's unchangeability here is nothing's going to topple that all of it's part of his plan. Everything falls together the way it's supposed to. Yeah. I think another verse in the jump into the new Testament that kind of, shows this and and also maybe shows some more 
aspects of it that are not obvious on the surfaces. James 117 is fairly common verse, but maybe not applied to this as often as it should be. Uh, we'll start with 16 and go through 18. Uh, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of his power, or by the word of truth, that we shouldn't be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Mm-hmm. And so that's saying, that's saying, you know, God is, there's no shadow or change. There's no variation. He's pure, constant, unpolluted. There's no little bit of him that, as in, he, he doesn't change himself, but he's just withholding or fighting off those urges to change. No, he's, he's pure in a sense. There's a consistency in his, in his essence. He doesn't want to change. He doesn't need to change. There's no bit of shadow or variation at all within him. Yeah. That reminds me of that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Mm, yeah. There's no shadow of turning in thee, that God will always remain faithful, and we don't have to worry about him deceiving us or betraying us if we are in Christ and trusting in him. So, yeah. yeah, which is a good um, lesson that the older hymns are way better. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this affects all the other attributes of God as well, like we said earlier. Um when it comes to God's all-knowing omniscience there, that if, uh, you know, we lose sight of that, uh, of God's all, if he's all-knowing, then he's got to be, he's got to be immutable, right? He's, yeah, this is, you know, this is, we talked to, not to keep beating a dead horse with the simplicity. We harped on it a lot last time, I think, but just to reiterate it, it's, you know, it's his simplicity, a change in one aspect of our, of him would connect and corrupt the rest of him. So he's simple in the sense that he's not broken up into pieces. So every you make a change to one part of God, you change make a change to all the rest. So if you start making him no longer immutable to where he he does change, then he then what caused that change? It had to be an intake information, a loss of information. Yeah. Maybe he just decided that the better idea was this. That would imply that he's he wasn't all knowing at some point. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he's not all knowing now. Yeah, if you add or subtract any any type of knowledge and that means of God's uh, omniscience there then then again he's not god if if anybody should be getting anything right of any being ever that's out there it should be god mm-hmm. uh being he's the one who created all things he's never been created he never began he's always been and that goes back to god's uh eternal nature that uh if god isn't eternal then he begins to exist or will cease to exist and that means change as well you know he he's not growing old and he's, you know, like we do, we go from being babies to being old people. And um, 20 years ago, I had a head full of hair. And now I'm bald as anything. But, uh, yeah. you know, I was baby-faced, and now I got a, a beard. And I'm a little bit more manlier. Um, <laughs> but Slightly. Slightly. And, uh, but, you know, that, that all plays a factor in that. And it, it also comes when we talk about his justice and holiness. Um yeah, with his justice, his holiness, looking forward to getting to that. Um, but just to show that, because those are kind of the things that maybe his attributes that get hit on the most um, in debates generally. But if God, you know, his justice or holiness, if he's, we say he's holy now and he is just, but if he can change, what assurance do we have that he will be just or holy in the future? Maybe 2,000 years ago, he accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Now he decides, eh. That wasn't quite enough for everybody. Y'all sinned a whole lot more than I thought you would. I'm not. That's no good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. So now you're not forgiven. 
So it's to change, to say God's immutable or to say God is, is mutable, that he can change. Then you kind of have no idea what you're going to, where that's going to lead. Because if he can change, who, who what, what kind of God will he be in the future? We've all seen this in our own lives with people that change their minds. And, you know, maybe we had an ex that, you know, one day was, you know, the bee's knees, as they used to say. But then all of a sudden, wait a second, now she doesn't like me that much anymore. She seems like she's being really mean now. I don't, I don't like her. I don't want to be with her anymore. So it's the same thing with God. If God changes, we don't know what we're going to have in the future. His immutability upholds everything we know about him. All right, we're just taking a quick break there. Uh, again, plug in our website, eyesupinministries.org. Find all the study materials and everything. And then check out also our other podcast, God's Mad Men. Uh, there we kind of discuss other different topics and you know the eyes up ministry podcast here we like we're sticking to the biblical teaching but the other one we we have the biblical teaching but it's on various different sub subjects um from different perspectives and uh, you know world events cultural stuff things of that nature so check that out as well and again follow us on social media and all that good stuff now back to the podcast All right, so what kind of implications does do we have here when we're talking about God's immutability? What's those what's some challenges that we see either prevalent in scripture or that we hear within the church or society itself when it comes to these things here? God's reliable, right? So God's nature, his his essence doesn't change, so neither can his will, right? Or can we change his will? Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've kind of hit on that as we went along here, but it's it most often seen, I think, in our understanding of prayer. I think if you just ask the, the average Christian um, in a church pew on Sunday, just, you know, why are you praying? Oh, to, so that God knows what I want, so that he, I tell him what I want, that he'll what, give me what I want. As if it's, you know, prayer is like appeases God or it tells him, it, um, convinces him to do what you want. And I think, uh, well, maybe this is, it, like you can see this in like the Roman Catholicism's approach to prayer, to where they pray to Mary so that Mary runs to Jesus, and Jesus goes mm -hmm. to the Father, as if Mary will have a little more sway over Jesus. You know, it's hard to say no to your mom. Um, so that's it kind of reveals that they're thinking God is mutable. Um, now I don't think they would say their official doctrine would be that God is immutable. They have the same um, understanding of His attributes in general that we do, but. When it's practically worked out, it's lost by the time it gets down to the average goer. And it's, it shows it reveals a contradiction in how they're practicing. But I think we also have that in our pews a lot is that we're praying to convince Jesus to give us what we want or to mm -hmm. convince him that I really need this. And that's a um that's a bad way to mm -hmm. view it. If you think about think about this scenario for a second. Let's say there's two legitimate believers in God praying for two mm -hmm. contradictory things. Mm -hmm. Like maybe someone has a, a poor, an important graduation for their child coming up. They're like, Lord, please don't let it rain. <laughs> or another believer is a farmer and they need the rain. And mm -hmm. they're praying very hard for it because it's been dry, a, a dry season recently. So does God just weigh the options and decide who he wants to help out more? Yeah, that guy's sin way less. I guess I'll the farmer's <laughs> way more. Well, he's praying for rain, but he didn't bring an umbrella. So I'm going to let it go ahead and. 
<laughs> right. Stay dry. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never really heard it. That's a good point. We should we view it as um, us relating to God, not telling him anything he needs to know, not convincing him to do anything. It's it's almost a way to to commune with him so that we can be changed, that we can submit ourselves to mm. his to his will. Yep. Yeah, prayer is more about aligning our will with God's will. Yeah. And and he wants to hear our prayers. He wants to hear our supplications. He wants us to to pray. Um, you know, the question always arises, well, if we can't change God's mind, then why should we pray then? And I would say if God is who he says he is, then why shouldn't we pray then? You know, why <laughs> that if he is who he says he is, then we should be praying and we should be, you know, just uplifting him and praising him and just giving him the glory for that, uh, his unchangeable ways in that sense is, uh, people don't realize, especially within the church, we kind of look at God like that magic genie in the bottle, you know, that we, he's going to grant our wishes. If we're, if we're good enough, there's another implication behind that. Um, so anyway, but the questions come up, I'm starting to chase a rabbit. We'll stay on track here, but, so what about like in Genesis 6, verse 6, when it was talking about the corruption of mankind? And it says, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Um, and I think under uh, the King James, it says that he repented that he had made mankind. Um, so what does it mean when we see things like that? Uh, can God change his mind? Mm-hmm. And, just, and just to kind of continue to play devil's advocate, mm-hmm. Go ahead and throw in First Samuel fifteen eleven. Mm-hmm. I regret that I made Saul king, and he has turned his back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. Right. So, and you say, well, you know, uh, people will say, well, you know, Israel demanded and wanted the king, so God gave it to them. Then, you know, they changed God's mind on having a king, but was it all part of God's plan? Would David had become king if this did not happen? It, did it not show them what the implications was of having a king of their own instead of God being their king? You know, there's there's a lot of things here that we see throughout Scripture that shows us uh, it all plays out a part in God's plan because, again, redemption come through the bloodline of David, and all those promises had to be filled, and the Messiah, Jesus himself, was of the lineage, lineage of, of David. Yeah, and maybe just one more kind of rounding out because these are the kind of common texts that are used to, to challenge God's immutability is Exodus 32, 10. This is where um, there's several texts like this where it seems like God says he intends to do something but then decides not to do it. So here we go, Exodus chapter 32, verse 10 through 14. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, and all of this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented, from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. That's, you know, so they're all getting those three verses that we gave are kind of getting at the same thing. It seems like Bible right there is saying God changes. Um, so we've either got to deal with those in, in a way or just 
toss out God's immutability and mm. and f- figure it out. Yeah, it comes back to context. You know, we see yeah, a guy I listen to, he always says there's three rules when it comes to reading the Bible. It's all about context, context, and context. There's There has to be uh, there's a big picture view of how God is working out. Know, his let plan. me write that down. What was number one again? Context. Number two was context. And three context. Uh, and you use the the Bible to interpret the Bible. You know, not. And you, you go back and listen to some of our other episodes. You'll see the importance of exegesis versus eisegesis, and 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 how we're to interpret the scriptures, and how we are to teach them and preach them, and so on and so forth. We've mentioned that pl- in plenty of our episodes. Um, but you know, is it what does it tell us about these statements when we see this in the context of the text? It's it's not necessarily showing us that God hated he did it or that um that he's repentant like we would as we repent of our sins and change. You know, repent means to turn away from those sins when we repent of our sins. But it more or less I heard of someone, a theologian one time say that um it's kind of like a father who hates to discipline his children. You know, and that old saying that hurts me more than it hurts you, I don't want to discipline my children. I don't want to spank them. I don't want to put them in timeout. I don't want to take away a privilege or take away a toy. But because I love them, I should discipline them so they grow up to be good young men and women. And God has to do what he has to do according to his plans for all things work according to his purpose, right? Um, and it's it just very clear and evident as we go through the scriptures, things happen because it serves a greater good, um, like Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. And he says there in Genesis 50, what, you know, what you intended for evil, God meant it for good. And it all works out according to God's plan. Yeah. I think there's taking a big picture. Look at it can help you, you know, cause we believe we, we here are, committed to biblical inerrancy. We believe that the Bible means what it says, but we have to make sure we know what it means. Is the Bible actually trying to say here, God changed his mind. God really, um, he meant to do one thing, then he decided, nah, I better not do that. Or that God was about to do something wrong and then he decided to do something right. Is that what it's saying there? Because you can read it, you know, you can t- rip that verse out and read it off and it can sound like that, but is that actually what he's meaning or is there a bigger picture of you I think one of the things here that you can, when you look at it in a big picture and try to understand what's going on, it can go a little deeper. It's is is it seems to me like in those instances, maybe we'll look at First Samuel fifteen eleven in a little deeper context, um, a little deeper way in a minute. But you'll see that there's a big plan going on there, where God's entire plan from the beginning was to illustrate His hatred of sin, His hatred of um, rebelling against Him by and and his um, mercy by showing, look, y'all have been evil. I'm going to punish you. Them saying, no, please don't do that. We we um, we we see we've rebelled. We've done wrong. We're going to stop. And then he relents and shows mercy. So how else could he show that he hates sin and yet also is is merciful without, in a sense, um, seeming like speaking to us in a way we could understand that. He, he did change his mind. So doing it this way allows him to illustrate his justice and his mercy in um, great detail. I think that's at least one of the ways we could we should consider when we come across verses like that that seem like he repented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you also got to 
think about the way scripture is written. A lot of the times when you're reading scripture, the recorder still under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is writing down and observing the narrative of what's happening. And at that time when, for example, God relented to not destroy um, Egypt in the uh, wilderness and Exodus, that was what it appeared to happen from the standpoint of Moses. And same thing with uh, First Samuel, that God, it seemed like God relented in making Saul king. So. Or like uh, when destruction of Sodom, right? And yeah. Abraham's pleading with God in a sense, and he's like, you find me one man out of so many and this and that and the other. Was it that God would have changed his mind if there was a righteous person like that? No, it was part of God's plan, but he was showing Abraham. It was a te- He was teaching him. Look, there's there's no one righteous. There's no one worthy of being saved here, and uh, right. And, and the New Testament tells us that those things are recorded for our sake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're written. And he was showing Abraham at that time, but he was also recording it for us in the future, so that we could learn. Yeah, again, uh, helping us to align our will with His will, showing us and teaching us about Himself through revelation like that. Yep. So it, I think what Josh was getting at there was also kind of similar to the prescriptive and descriptive understanding of scripture is, is scripture yeah. just telling us what happened or is it telling us this is what should be done mm. a lot of times especially in these um old testament historical books it's just recording what happened it's not necessarily saying this was right otherwise god be okay with a whole whole bunch of uh, adultery because there's a whole lot, lot of sin going on mm. but it's just saying this is what happened and it and it does it so in a sense that it helps us understand god in a human human language you know uh, it speaks of god having arms and hands and things of that nature but that's all uh that's all a way what's that word guys uh, anthropomorphic <laughs> anthropomorphic i can't say get, it right if you want to get fancy you, you want to get fancy that's the, speech or yeah as our pastor says that's the 25 cent word but uh yeah it speaks to us in a way that we can understand god 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 the father god is a spirit right it te- the bible teaches god is a spirit but he doesn't have hands that are holding up the world you know or you know doing these things or hold, held the waters of the world in his palm of his hand and stuff like that that's just a way to show us and help us understand god better right so we we literally believe the bible but the, so a, a right approach to scripture is not just to assume that what it says it, it means that literally there's no figurative element to it at all so if you really want to take that literal approach in every single case and apply that everywhere. Even when the Bible doesn't mean literally, you've got to view God as literally actually upholding the world with his hands, actually owning sheep on a thousand hills or whatever exactly it says. But Mm -hmm. so the Bible doesn't always want you to interpret it literally in the extreme sense. It wants you to understand it as what it, what it's trying to convey. Not necessarily that it doesn't use any literal, um, metaphorical figurative language Mm -hmm. but i guess we can go ahead and move on to this particular verse the good news is in the case that we're trying to make it is very explicit in certain cases like god has changed his mind for example going back to the first samuel verse where god relented that he made saul king later in first samuel 15 29 the same author comes to realize what really happened and saying that, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. And sometimes it'll say, uh, translation will say, change his mind or repent. Mm. So, yep. 
That's a very right, good so, point. So, you know, the, the Bible is, to interpret that literally, you're just going to have to say, well, there's a contradiction here. But to understand that the Bible's got, a, it's a bigger, it's not just written like to a, a childish schoolboy like that. It's written in, a, there's a bigger plan there. So it's saying he doesn't relent, or he did relent, he doesn't relent. It's showing you that um, he's not like a man that he changes his mind. It's not an error there. It's, it's showing the bigger picture of what his plan was all along. Mm-hmm. And also the context of the verse I just read, moving up a little bit to verse 27, Samuel's actually talking to Saul in this context mm. saying the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to, to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And again, also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. So again, the same context still talking about Saul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, if that was the case, then God would not be perfect. If, if God's plan, if God has a plan for your life, right? We always hear God has a plan for my life. And I, well, if he's got a plan for your life, then life, then it is perfect in his ways, regardless of where it may take you or where you may end up. Um, and it's amazing to me how many Christians they'll, they'll pull back the story of Joseph and remember, well, what, you know, man meant for evil, God meant for good. But then at the same time, they're thinking God's going to change your know, God, whatever purposes it is. It may be God's will that you stay in a living hell your entire life. Um, we got it so good here in America. We don't even realize it compared to third world countries. And uh, so many Christians are even still being executed for their faith today, living uh, a life as a prisoner for years on years on years in, and then uh, eventually executed. Was, did God have a great plan for their life there in that sense of, of, the, of the human understanding context of that? Look at the apostles. Look at all them. They were executed as well for their faith. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's something we need to consider here. Uh, otherwise, if if that's the case and we can change God's mind with prayer, then who's really the God here? Yeah, I think we need to, you know, we don't want to interpret the Bible based on our theological system, but you do need to understand what the implications of understanding if you come away with this verse thinking that God relented, God repented that he had made Saul king in the most extreme literal sense, then you do have a, a God who's no longer perfect because he made a mistake. You have a God who is no longer omniscient because he learned something. This this God does change now. And so you are left with um, a God who is almost just like a, a Superman. Mm-hmm. That, that still, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you force what you believe onto the text, but you do want to understand the implications of the text so that you can in, you want to interpret it in light of other things in scripture because if you believe in the inerrancy of scripture you do have to um understand that one piece does fit together with the other you know in a um, consistent sense yeah so basically what we can derive from first samuel 15 here is that god god hates sin um that he has this leader here who's coming about who israel has shown he gave them what they want in that sense as far as he didn't change his mind about it but it all served a purpose and a plan to bring forth eventually uh, the Davianic covenant or however you say that. But anyway, uh, this way of understanding this text and others holds the entirety of scripture together as one consistent body of truth and enables us to accurately, honestly, and rightly understand all of the relevant passages. And again, you know, like I said earlier, this brings about an understanding of if God doesn't, he doesn't change. It just shows that 
he chastises those whom he loves. He he hates sin, and his plans will be served eventually. So any other method not only does damage to the uh, inerrancy of Scripture, but also destroys the perfect nature of God. So in understanding all this, that God is unchangeable, like, like I said, this is, and studying this real deeply last year, man, it just brought forth a, a, a man, it's just, I was just, there was joy in my heart, and I just couldn't help but praise God in this. So it brings about a proper doxology here that um, it should lead us to praise and shout for glory because we have a God who is unchangeable. Regardless of our circumstances, he's still going to love me. He's still going to do the things that he has promised. And that should be enough, man, just alone that God doesn't change because he is always holy. He is always loving, but he's always just. And he's always, he, he's going to do, and we'll get into these other attributes as well, but he's always holy, man. It's always that, that, that part alone should be enough to make us just shout for joy. Right. Yeah. This is the, you know, doxology, the fancy word just for, for praise. You know, we, um, that's the purpose of all this, the understanding of God. These attributes of God should lead us. If we, if we understand them rightly, and if we are humbly considering them rightly, it leads us to praise. That's why we do this. Um, cause his, his, if he really is perfectly holy and perfect, um, when we're understanding it rightly, it should lead us to, to love him more deeply. Well, and that's, that's what we hope we leave you with here today. Um, to go back to Psalm 62, verse 9, it says, Lean too much on man, and you find a broken reed. Lean upon the Lord, and you find a rock. Man will change. Man will let you down. Man will fail you. But God never will. Anything else you gentlemen want to add to this before we close it out today? Um, maybe just an evangelical spew here is that God's immutability is important to the gospel because that promise that we he has given to forgive any who repent and turn to Christ is immutable. That can be relied on. You know, when we repent, we don't have to doubt that he'll change his mind that he now we turn to Christ and have faith. We don't have to doubt that he um has still forgiven us. And so when we go out to the world and proclaim that that message to sinners, we can be sure and we can tell them that they can be sure that he has promised to forgive if they'll if they'll repent. And that promise is as certain as anything in this earth. It's more certain than gravity it's more certain than taxes mm. um that if they forgive or if they, if they repent and turn to christ they will be forgiven mm. amen because you know we worship a trying god our lord and savior jesus christ who is god it says in hebrews 13 um 8 this is a very famous verse jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and just think about the implications of that, mm. that he will not forgive us or forsake us or change his mind about the atonement that he made for our sins mm. with the Father. So That's it. All right. Well, gentlemen, it's been a good conversation here as we have dove deeper into the attributes of God. Again, check out our website. Look us up on social media. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Give us a good rating on the podcast. Help share the word and spread the word by sharing and liking our content. And uh, join us next time as we continue to go deeper into the attributes of God. 
I am John Pruitt. Joshua Lovell. And Will Lewis. And until the next time, keep reading those Bibles.